Well, good morning. And good morning to you guys who are watching live stream. Uh, I want to, before I get into the study, I wanted to, and this was not planned, but I had this book with me and I thought, boy, this is a perfect time to talk about it because of the youth ministry and what's going on there, the change. This book is called A Practical Guide to Culture, Helping the Next Generation Navigate Today's World. And uh, last year in October, I, I read another book that was called Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher. Some of you were involved in our ABs, what became to be, came to be known as our ABCD group, which is a book club discussion group. And that just sort of happened. I sent about 10 emails out. It wound up being 45 people. We all read the book. We came together for a couple hours, and we talked about it. This book is the next one that we're doing. We're going to have our, I think it's April. It's a Saturday in April, like the third, I think, third Saturday or something like that. So you parents particularly and you grandparents, this book is amazing. I just finished it yesterday. And he is addressing, they are, there's two guys who wrote it, they are addressing the issues that our children are facing. Now, that might be children, might be grandchildren, whatever it is, and how do we help them to navigate the culture that we live in? And as you know, I'm 68, and so what I was going through at this time in my early, was nothing like the things that our kids are facing today. And we need to equip them to be able to go out into our, our nation, our culture, and bring the gospel and bring an understanding of what, not only what do they be, but why they believe it. And so I'm a little pumped right now. But if you would like to be a part of that, uh, just email me, kevin at ccskent.org. I will, I'll show, I'll t- you have to get, buy the book. I'm not going to buy the book for you. Is that okay? Okay. I did buy it for a few people. <laughs> uh, and so, and then you just read this book and come together, and we're going to talk about it for a couple hours in April. So I want to just continue to ask you to be praying for our children. Yesterday in our prayer meeting, a lot of that was spent in these prayer meetings. So anyway, that's not what I'm going to be talking about. Well, we're in the Word of God. Amen. So we're in First Peter. Would you stand? We would like to honor God's word by standing as I read it. I hope that you have your own Bible or you have some device with which you can read the word of God. As you know, and I'll say it again, I'm going to talk a little bit about that also this morning. The word of God is alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide between the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And we need God to speak into our hearts so that we know that we know what he says we need to know. (laughs) And that is the truth. And so Jesus said, the truth will set you free. The word of God is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. I look at that as when we read the Bible, it's showing us where we are and it's telling us where we need to be going. And so it's corrective in nature. It's sufficient to make us just ready for life. And we need to consume it. If there's one area where consumers... It's in the Word of God. So, okay. I may never get to my message this morning because these things keep coming up. So I want to talk this morning with you about loving one another. So in 1 Peter 2, verse 22, these are overlap verses. In Peter, there's a lot of overlaps to the next, uh, which is the same today in the, in the last couple. Anyway, since you have purified your souls, how? In obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, Love one another fervently and with a pure heart. So just a little note. How do we purify our our souls? It's in learning to love. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, 
which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of as the flower of the grass, the grass wither, its flower falls away, but the word of God endures. In other words, the word of God is coming from for all time, for all people. We die, people die, but the word of God stays the same. It's applicable to us all the time. Okay, here we go. <laughs> but the word of the Lord endures how long? Forever. Now, this is the word which, we, which by the gospel was preached to you. That's how we were saved. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So, God, we come before you as your people. We also come, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you and hasn't experienced salvation and hasn't come to know the grace of God and the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God and the life that we have through what Jesus did on the cross. If anyone here listening, we're asking by your spirit, Lord, through your word, you would speak to them. We know you want to give them ears, Lord. Give them light that they might see a little bit of the truth that can set them free through the gospel. We ask, Lord, you give us ears to hear that we might respond this morning to the things that are on your heart for us individually and also as a church. Please bless what I've prepared. Break it fresh. We're hungry. We're looking to you as the author and finish of our faith to write, continue to write your truth in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So last week we talked about living a holy life, and in verse 15 it says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct for, because it's written, be holy for I am holy. Now, then we, we, we kind of transitioned into that, those verses we start out with this morning. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in how sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, loving one another. Love is the purest expression and the clearest example of holiness. Love. 1 Timothy 1.5, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. <laughs> right here, Peter says the same thing, from a good conscience and from sincere faith, the real deal. So as we continue this morning, I want you to note something, because I think it's important. The main theme of the book of Peter is suffering. And I told the Lord, I said, I'm the last person to really be talking about suffering because I've had a good life. I don't feel like I've hardly suffered at all, particularly when I'm reading a lot of the books that I'm reading on what the church has gone through over the years and over the decades and over the centuries and over the millennials. What the church has gone through has been horrific because they believe in Jesus Christ. And I don't understand all of that. We've talked a little bit about that. But before he begins to address our suffering, and that's in chapter 2, verse 19, he, he takes a significant part of this letter to remind us of what Jesus did and who we are as believers. So in doing that, the word holy or holiness has its root meaning indifferent. So we are different, not weird. Amen? Well, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I, I look out. Yeah, some are weird. I'm weird. Not strange. They consider it strange you're not following, but holiness is a difference in who we are and how we live. That's holiness. God set us free 
We are different and have no desire to turn back to the old life. It's not there anymore. We're born again. Our love for one another is the greatest difference also that the world will take note of something happened, something's different. Jesus, on the night that he would be betrayed in his sinner's hands and then be crucified, he made this an emphasis in talking to his disciples on that night. One of the scriptures in John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says that you also love one another. Now, why would he say that you also love? Because God's love is perfect. Ours is not. Love as I've loved you and us, you also love one another. Now, in Peter, we'll see this morning, there are two words that are being used. There's phileo and there's agape. Now, these two loves are real and they need to be fervent and they need to be sincere. It's part of our humanity and it's also part of God's deity, his love for us, who he is. And so he said, a new, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this Will all men know that you are my disciples? And he says it again, if you have love for one another. And then he said, this is my commandment that you love. It's a commandment. It's not some suggestion. It's also not a feeling. It's something that's obedient to truth. That's love. A commitment is, is being obedient to what you have said. Is it true? If it is, then you're going to live out that commitment, whether it's marriage or whatever it might be. You're going to fulfill it because that's what love does. That's what love is. It's a commitment to truth and to living it out. And so in the gospel family, we have this natural brotherly love, and we have this supernatural uh, God's love, which is agape. So how are we to love one another? Certainly by appreciating our differences. We're different, but even among us, God's, God is the God of creativity there's great unity in diversity. Look at your bodies. There's beautiful things. You see, God is so into art. He's an artist. And so as he looks at our lives, as he looked at you, you look at it, you go, wow. It's incredible. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows its firmament. It's like the sun rising, and you start to see the majesty of our creator. And I say, wow. From stars to seeds, from flowers to weeds, God is a God of creativity. And certainly we must appreciate that diversity. We must appreciate those things. But also, just as certainly, what Peter's going to do here is going to lay out how we're the same. Our samenesses. And that draws us, should bring us to unity. Now, I found seven. There's probably a lot more that I want to give you. Some of them, I'm going to, a couple of them I'm going to spend a little more time on. But for the most part, I just want to declare to you, we are in many ways the same. In fact, the genome tells us that the, the color of our skin is 0.01% of our genetic makeup. In other words, we are the same. We're the human race. And what are we dealing with today in these divisions that are coming up? We understand a biblical worldview, first of all, and secondly, God's creativity. But we are more the same by far than we are different. Our identity is not wrapped up in the things that we usually wrap them up in. I'm African, I'm Asian, I'm, Egypt, I'm American. No, no, no. God says we're part of his human race that he loves. He's created us differently to, dis to display his creativity and his beauty. So... 
First of all, we are children of the same family. Can you say amen? Where are the children in the same? Now, you might say, well, man, I wish that wasn't so when you start looking at your son, your brother, your sister. They said, having been born again, we're born into the same family. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So let me, let me capture this. We're born again into the same family through the same incorruptible word of God. Anyone who is a part of God's family came by no other way. We've been given eternal life through the same enduring word of God. And we believe the same gospel as it was preached to us, and that's why we're in the family of God. We are the same. We come in this, on the same ground, the same level ground, and that's at the cross and what God did for us. Agape love, phileo love, natural love, supernatural love comes with the family. Now, I will say this. <laughs> you can't fake it in your family. I mean, you know it. I, oh, I'm such the lovey-dovey guy. No, he's not. I know him. I've seen, I know how he operates. That's what happens in a family. Is the love gone? No, no, no. But what we're seeing in family is the real deal. You can't, it's not phony. So with sincere love means it's not fake, it's not phony. That happens in family. That's where that's forged, but that's also where that's birthed. I will tell you, when my oldest son was born, it changed my life because of the love that was right there. I didn't have to work it out. It was there, and it's there now, and it will always be there. And such it is in our families. Now, was he the perfect son? Sorry, Trev. <laughs> Am I the perfect dad? Sorry, Mariah. Not at all. But I will tell you, that doesn't negate that I love them. Naturally, and by God's grace, supernaturally. To live above with saints we love, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, now that's a different story. But it's not because of the absence of love in a family. It's because of love that we are able to grow up and learn what it means. In the gospel family, there's sincere, natural, supernatural love that is to be practiced in the family and by the family. So Paul, 1 John says this, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word and, or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And we have to say like James says, you know, if you say you love, what good is it if you just say it? What good is that is what he actually says. What good is that? That's not love. Love has feet to it and hands to it and a mouth to it and all these things that God has given to us. So number one, we are children of the same family. Say amen again. Secondly, we are faulty with the same tendencies. Now, you're not saying amen to that one. 
We are faulty with the same tendencies. Therefore, laying aside all what? Malice. All deceit. Hypocrisy. Envy and all evil speaking. Three times says all, all, all. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Lord that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. What's he saying? Let me capture it. The same tendency to hold on to bad attitudes, we all have it. Which then leads to the same tendency to lose our appetite for the word of God. Because it exposes them. Which leads to the same tendency to forget about the grace of God for myself and for others. That's what happens. We are, of this, we are, we are faulty with the same tendencies. So he says, lay aside these things. Put them on the path and walk away. Put them aside and walk away. Don't keep doing that. Don't hold on to that. Malice is hardened anger. I would hazard a guess that if we have not actually begin to have, have, we've been close through this last year. Hardened anger. Ill will, having an unforgiving spirit, carrying bitterness in my heart and a chip on my shoulder. Wanting to do harm, actually. Deceit. Deceit is deliberate dishonesty. In other words, I'm concealing truth that I know. I'm misrepresenting truth that I know. I'm using cleverness to get even, to make a good impression or get it over on someone else. I'm asking this morning by the Holy Spirit that we would just examine, we're going to do communion this morning. We would just examine our hearts in these areas. There are many, there are a lot of lists we could go, but Peter goes through five, he names five specific things. And they're easily hidden. Hypocrisy means acting the part. Pretending to be pious and loving. Acting like you are someone you are not. I like this. Obstinately hiding malice and deceit. The other two. Hypocrisy. Obstinately hides them. Seeing the speck in another's eye without being willing to look at the beam in my own. Here's the most notable. I think this is notable. In the scriptures, the most notable were the religious leaders. Those representing God. And yet, living hypocritically. Jesus woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully, beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Envy is resentful discontent, desiring evil on someone for what they have. That's why they crucified Jesus. I thought of the King Saul and David. And King Saul is king. Got the whole thing. 
It's his. God gave it to him. And David goes out, and then as he comes back in from the battle, the women start singing, Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. You know what it says about the king Saul? It says, from that day on, he eyed David. His eye was for David to be harmed. And he tried actually to have him killed. He himself threw the thing. He devised ways to get this guy out, out dead. That's envy. It didn't start out as a major murder plot. But something started sort of (laughs) in Saul's heart. Hold on a second. David, 10,000 meters. And his heart began to wander into this area of envy, which then would have resulted in murder had God not protected David. Now, here's, here's one that I think we all need to take stock of. All evil speaking, which is slander, backbiting, gossip. God help us. It's talking ill of someone secretly. It's making false or misleading statements to malign, smear, or defame someone. And a lot of times it has to be because I want to, get, I want to be lifted up, so I'm going to tear someone else down. I said, Lord, you got to help me. you got to help us. So Peter gives us five here. There are many others. And he says, lay them aside. Because they are self-destructing, unloving attitudes. Loving one another is not a lovey-dovey, sentimental, feel-good commandment. (laughs) It's not that. The commandment is that we might be rid of these things that will destroy a relationship. I would would characterize it as a as a, miso- a, a, miso- a the massaging of my heart, but a deep one. You ever get a massage and they go, it actually hurts. And I go there, why am I doing this? <laughs> but after a couple, it, they, it goes deep. It's like this God taking. And so the commandment isn't necessarily this lovey-dovey. It's a, in my mind, it's a deep uncomfortableness in my heart. But oh, how we need to understand These things are the very things that will hide as long as we let them hide. We'll keep picking them up again as long as we don't deal with them according to the word of God, according to his commandment, according to things that are in our hearts. And so it's a matter of the heart. Jesus said this, from within out of the heart proceed evil thoughts right off the bat. Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit. There's another one. Lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. That's one of what I call the ugly lists. Where? The heart's the issue. It's a matter of the heart. It's the works of the flesh. Galatians. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, another ugly list. But listen, our hearts can be really ugly unless we ask the Lord through a pure heart, purify our heart at the cross. These are attitudes that I am commanded to lay aside. It is impossible to love if we are unwilling to acknowledge these sins as sin. It means making the break with those works of the flesh. 
It means ridding ourselves of these attitudes in our hearts. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit at the cross of Jesus Christ. One word, repentance. It's repentance toward God. Resulting in a change of mind and action towards others. That's repentance. James says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and he immediately forgets what kind of man he was. How many times have you done that? You see something, man, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> a lot of times as we're hearing the word of God, and it strikes us, and we leave and never goes any more than that. The initial strike, and that was it. One of the things that's gone on with this COVID that I, early on, you know, I, 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 I sensed this idea in my mind that this may be a long time. And I thought, my mind was, you know, God's may allow this to go a long time so that he can do something that lasts. Not like 9-11. But he who looks into the what? Let's look at this. The perfect law of liberty. God is not trying to ruin our party. He's trying to free us to enjoy life. And continues in it. And it's not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Listen, I'll, I'll do a little confession here. When it comes to God's word, familiarity breeds exempt. That's what happens. Familiarity breeds exempt. In other words, I know it in my mind, but it's not happening in my heart. Somehow, because I know it, I think that I'm exempt from doing it. No, no, no. That's not what, how it works. I wish it was. You can have a lot of diplomas on your wall, gone through all But as far as God's concerned, Jesus said it, we, it's not just hearing, it's doing it. Knowing in the head must become something that's real in the heart. Then we are understanding what God's called us to do. I have been very intentional in exercising myself to memorize the word of God. Very and I believe it has to be intentional. And the reason that I do that is, is a couple. But one of the reasons I did it way back, I just said, you know, if I start experiencing my brain going down the tubes, at least maybe what will come out will be the word of God. <laughs> Honestly. But then I want the word of God circulating. Because as it is, eventually at least some of that's going to kind of make its way to my heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against you. That is not just some nice saying. That is the truth. So as the word of God is, and I'm, I'm, I'm committing it to my mind, I'm committing it to my heart, 
It's giving the Holy Spirit the, the resources to work with. To divide between the thoughts and intents of my heart. To expose where I am and where I'm going and where I should be going. To give to me a continual daily light by which I can just that day maybe walk a little bit in it. What are you doing with the Word of God in your life? I encourage people all the time, it doesn't take long to memorize Scripture. It really doesn't. Now, you might think, well, I can't do that. Well, I would challenge you this morning in that to give it a try because you memorize a lot of things and you don't even try to memorize them. In our Western Seminary, we've memorized some verses in there, not a lot. But I'll tell you, for some people... It's the first time they've memorized a couple of verses. I said, you're way ahead then. You're way ahead. Start somewhere and start doing it and committing it. So for me, my memorizing time is when I'm driving in my car. 10, 15 minutes every morning. Doesn't take long. And it begins, your mind will begin. And the other thing I learned about this is that it is actually like a muscle, your memory. When you begin to, to exercise memorization, your brain actually grows. In that area. You begin to be able to, the capacity becomes greater. Now, as far as physical exercise and all that, I think it's overrated. But <laughs> as far as spiritual exercise of my brain, I'm not going to stop. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, Ephesians, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the, what, futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being past feelings, having given this over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. That's what Paul's telling the Ephesians. You've not learned, that's not what you've learned. What you've learned is that you need the word of God. So he says, put off concerning the old man. Put off this, put off that, put away this, put away that, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews, therefore, we also, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. <laughs> Looking unto Jesus. It's simple. It's not complicated. Looking at you, who is what? The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. I say, whoo-hoo! Consider him who endured such hostility. Then in, in Hebrews, there, he says, and don't despise what? The chastening of the Lord. See, that's what happens. That's the heart massage. God comes in and chastens. Why? Because he doesn't know. Because he does love us. And it's not pretty, it's painful, but it works. The end, the, pro the product of it is lay aside every weight, the sin which will easily be set to the pro the, what, what becomes, what happens? We partake his holiness. That's what happens. So bring, in a sense, bring it on. Whatever is needed, help me, Lord, to take what you give to me and treasure it. Thy word is a treasure it's a, it's, a, it's a jewel. Now, this is Communion Sunday. I think it's perfect timing to examine ourselves before the Lord. In these five, maybe others, say, Lord, I need your help.
I'm going to put this down right now at the altar. Put it down. I'm done. I'm going to go get right what I might need to get right. I'm going to make you take some time to think through some of these things that are going on. And Lord, how can you help? Because God's not saying, well, it's an instant fix. It's not an instant fix. It's been maybe a lifetime of being unfixed. Difficulty and pain. God's not saying, well, you want to get that right. No, God's saying, I can help you. I will help you. I'll be there for you. I'll strengthen you with my right, mighty right hand. I'll help you to understand the depth of my love for you, by which then you can understand what it means to love someone else who maybe has hurt you deeply, who's done things that you don't appreciate, who thinks differently, has a different opinion. And yet, what about my heart? Is there malice? Is there deceit? Is there hypocrisy? Is there envy? Is there evil speaking? I thought of that. I, asked, I actually asked Sophia to play it when we take communion. At the cross. The song breaks my heart. Breaks my, my, just moves me. There's a place where mercy reigns and never does. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. That's the cross. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I think some of us this morning need to surrender afresh in some of these areas. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe it to you, all to you. I owe all to you. That's what we're going to do when we take communion. Let me give you the other seven. I'm going to focus on one, then we'll go to communion. Third, we are living stones of the same building. That's what we are. Coming to him, verse 4, as to a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, and what? Precious. Now, (laughs) eight times this rough and tumble fisherman uses the word precious. It's a word I think of as coming from someone gentle and sensitive until Gollum made the big screen. Precious. (laughs) But it's no wonder. What is Peter saying is precious? Our precious faith, two times. The precious blood of Jesus. Jesus himself, three times. The precious promises of God. He is precious. Jesus is precious to us. You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is a master at taking the roughest, uncut, unfit stone and chisels away and makes it exquisite. That's what he's doing in our lives. In its beauty, our beauty to him. In its fit in the building, our fit by him. And in the place that he's given to us in his plans and in building his kingdom. Michelangelo said, quote, the, script, the sculptor, sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It is already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material, unquote. That's what God's doing. He's fitting us by chiseling away and giving us that place of beauty, exquisite beauty, in a place where we fit, in a place where he's 
always had for us in his plans. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means put to shame. This is why Jesus came. We are a part of his building. Ephesians chapter 2. Isaiah says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily, Peter says, will not be ashamed. Refers to God's foundation stone. Carefully chosen, very costly, placed in a position in Zion. The pictures of the building of the temple. A great cost and a great care, the cornerstone was obtained, moved, and laid where it needed to be. Isaiah is using this figure to encourage the people to build their lives on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who's immovable, he's unchangeable. It's either building it on him who is the truth or building it on lies and falsehoods that the world would love you to build it on. The application is self-evident. God set Jesus as the foundation of his spiritual house. Whoever builds their lives on him will be established and will never be put to shame. Just the opposite. God is already working in our lives, fitting us and beautifying in his, to put us in his place, in his plans, in his kingdom. Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders reject has become the chief cornerstone. Friends, you know this. People reject Jesus, and they will. The world rejects you. In fact, they'll look at us as being nuts. I, I don't mind being thought of as nuts when God thinks of me as beautiful. When God's made a place for me in his work and plans. Have at it, world. I belong to God. He, I, we are all stones in the same building. We're holy priests in the same temple. Just think about these things. It blows your mind. You also as living stones will be built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. We are, we as believers have immediate access to God the King. We serve in the courts of God the King. We minister to others for God the King. This is the priesthood of the King and, and the royal priesthood. And listen to this. <laughs> this is so fantastic. It means that every Christian has something to give others from God the King. That's the priesthood, the royal priesthood. Five, we are citizens of the same country, the same nation. A holy nation. Six, we are special people to the same holy God. Listen to this. His own special people that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He said, come out from among them and be ye holy. You heard it. You responded to it. He called you out and now we are citizens of a holy nation. Same banner, same flag, same anthem.
We are special people to the same holy God. And finally, we are sojourners. We are pilgrims on the same journey. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So here we, those are overlaps. We'll go back into those next study. We're going to take communion. And I believe that the Lord would have us be honest. Well, he always wants that. But just as we take this time, and we don't have usually any time to stop for a moment and ponder the things of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in my heart. And the areas that Peter brings out are malice, which is a hardened anger. Deceit, which is deliberate dishonesty. Hypocrisy is playing the part, putting on the mask in a figurative sense. Envy, resentful discontent. The world will stir that up all the time. Don't envy, Proverbs says, don't envy the wicked. And yet that's what many times. And then evil speaking, which is slander secretly. It's backbiting secretly. It's gossip secretly. Would you bow your heads with me as we just, as the emblems are being passed out and, and, and you're, you're getting those. And we're going to sing this song at the cross. That's where God has given us the answer. As often as we take the bread and drink the cup, we do Declare his death until he comes. What Jesus accomplished for us was complete. We're waiting for him to return to complete our redemption, but we're in the middle here. And thus, as often as we take the bread and drink the cup, we do proclaim his death. We remember him. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So, Lord, we look to you as we're going to take communion together. You are the author and finisher of our faith. You are the one who died on the cross for our sins. You're the substitute sacrifice. You're the redeemer. You're the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You're the one who's called us out of darkness into light. And Lord, when you did that, you knew exactly the material that you had to work with. And so, Lord, I'm asking for myself and for us that we might right now just take stock of what's going on in our hearts. As we hold the bread and we hold the cup, Lord, they're symbolic of something that is far from symbolic. It's the truth. The bread that you gave your life and crucified. The blood, you shed your blood that we might have the forgiveness of our sins. So again, I'm, I'm going to just encourage each one of us as we're singing this song, let's let the Holy Spirit sort of massage the heart a little bit here, but then also overflow us with the reality and truth that Jesus has taken care of our sin at the cross and now we come in repentance and faith and believing and trust through his word the freedom of the law of liberty he who the son sets free is free indeed I I hope the Lord will minister to you the hope that comes the living hope that we have 
no matter how dark, no matter how wrong we might find ourselves this morning. God loves us. Let's do that.